Take your Bibles, if you would. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 11. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 11 is our text. I want to read a little context for you and give you a context to this. This is a reoccurring theme, if I may, if I may say that, that for some reason or another, and I think I know why, God has given me to do here to gospel. I never remember as a kid, though I was in church quite a bit, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, pretty much since I was two years old. Uh, we moved to a lot of places. We always, the first thing we did, remember, we moved was find a good, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, soul-winning church. We tried to always be, my wife and I always tried to be an asset to that church, financially, uh, socially, uh, labor-wise, every way we could be an asset. My wife immediately go to work in a nursery. She would immediately begin to teach Sunday school if they'd let her. I would go into the various ministries of the church, door-to-door, uh, bus ministries, and be part of uh, the, just the work that they needed done. A lot of times just maintenance work, cleaning toilets, whatever they needed done. I had no problem because it was God's house and I understood who I did it for. And it's a privilege to work for the king. And so I, I, this theme that I'm going to do tonight is, is a, somewhat of a reoccurring theme in different forms as I've preached down through the Bible. The title of it is, It Ain't Over Till It's Over. It ain't over till it's over. That's a paraphrase of verse 11, chapter 20 of 1 Kings. That's my paraphrase or summation of it. Ahab was not a good guy. Ahab was not a good guy, but he was the king of Israel, ten tribes of the north, and God had allowed him to be that, entrusted him with it, though he betrayed that trust. And Syria had war with Israel a few times through the Old Testament. This is one time in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were 30 and two kings with him, and the horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, unto the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel, which was Ahab, of course, answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. Wow. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, Although I sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my service unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. 
For he sent unto me for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders of this people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Wherefore he said unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord, the king, all that thou didst send for to thy servant at the first, I will do. To me, that's a phenomenal statement. But this thing I may not do. The messenger departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me and more also. If the dust of Samaria shall suffice for the handfuls of all the people that follow me. And I love, I just love the answer that was given by Ahab back to this arrogant, overconfident Ben-Hadad. He said, the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not him girdeth on his harness that's his weapons of war, boast himself as he that putteth it off. Don't brag before the fight, brag after the fight. You'll see where this this is going. And so as we read down through the passage, God God delivered Ben-Hadad into Ahab's hand, and there was a great victory. I believe there's a great truth for you and I as we live our Christian lives out in verse 11. That will serve to warn us and to humble us because there's a lot of warning in the Bible about our walk in Christ and our journey in the kingdom of God. That not him that girdeth on his harness, his weapons, boasts himself as he that putteth it off. It ain't over till it's over. There's a stern warning in the Bible about counting your chickens before they're hatched. How many have ever heard that? Almost all of you. It's amazing. It's amazing. Don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Now, I've incubated, is that what they say, incubated chickens. I have an incubator, and you put them in there, and you, it was amazing how complicated it is to hatch chickens. You take the eggs that are fertile, hopefully fertile. First of all, get fertile eggs. And then put them in this incubator, and the incubator's got to have a certain degree of humidity. And if it's too dry, they don't work, and you know. So, and also the temperature, what I was just absolutely amazed when I first incubated chickens was the temperature. I believe it had to be within about a half a degree. I can't quite remember whether it was 99 and a half degrees or 99. I might be off of my number there, but I'm going to tell you, it is amazing how close you've got to keep them. At a certain temperature, the eggs, they're, they're fertile, but they haven't, the process has not started. But when that heat gets up to a certain place, the process of life starts, basically conception, as it were, and they begin to grow. And if you abandon them, they rot, of course. So you've got to keep them up to this heat, and it's got to keep this, uh, you got to keep a certain amount of humidity on them. And then you've got to roll them around. You've got to move them around. Now I'm thinking chickens are some of the dumbest animals on the face of the planet. We have inbred them things and bred them. You know, there's more chickens on planet Earth than human beings. I hope. 
the way we eat chicken, there ought to be about 100 chickens per person, brother. You know what I mean? The way Baptists eat chicken. And so, uh, I'm, I mean, say now, you got you got to, you, it's, it's not easy to successfully incubate these chickens. It's amazing. My first batch of chickens, I must have got too dry of air, and the, and the babies stuck to the shell when they tried to get out. About half of them died. Well, they didn't have their mother there picking the shell off of them. You know, if you ever watched a, a live chicken do their chicks, they pick the shell and they move them around. Now, look, how does that mother hen know what temperature to keep them chicks? But she will. In fact, as they grow, they begin to generate their own heat. So she gets to leave them more and longer. How does she know that? Who tells her that? Those are God. But for our sake, it's not over till it's over. I want you to keep that in your mind. And don't count your chickens for they're hatched. And let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Scenario goes something like this. A person gets saved out of a life of wicked sin and immorality. Glory to God. He feels great relief that his sins are forgiven to the place where they oftentimes will tell me, I feel like a weight's been taken off of me. They, 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 by the grace of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, they get a clear conscience for the first time in their life. They can smell the virgin fragrance of newly blossomed life. Uh, the new Christian is ravenously hungry for the truth and begins a dead serious effort to read the Bible, to know who God is, and even to memorize Scripture, even though their heartbeat goes up 40 times. Or, as in the case of uh, Jimmy Knott, 100. This new Christian experiences the deep satisfaction of, and for the first time feeling secure, and unafraid of the future. As a born-again believer, we can face the future. He enjoys a pure relationships with people, only looking out for their very best interests as a born-again believer. He loves being saved and forgiven and a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ and his payment that he made for us on the cross. Everything's going well as he appropriates the promises to his life and sees God do in his life what he said he would do. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, 8, it says, The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You begin to see God bless the work of your hands. You begin to see God move in your life. Uh, meet certain people and lead people to Jesus and give them the gospel and some good things begin to happen. The person, this person I'm talking about grows in the faith for years, may, may even become a deacon. Uh, he may have become a leader in a, min in a ministry somewhere, the head of a wanner, the head of a bus ministry or a leader. He may become a person looked up to by the body of believers that he, where he goes to church as a spiritual example for others. The old sin habits that he had at the beginning are long gone. 
He hasn't smoked in years. He hasn't drank alcohol or been drunken in years since he got saved. He hasn't been immoral uh, since he's been saved. He's been delivered almost completely from the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, as our brother Bobby Miller said. And God will help you with that. As he surveys his situation in life and God's blessing, he and others may say of him, he has been and is a successful Christian. He has made it in Christ Jesus. Then the downfall. Then the failure. Then the shame of a so-called mature, which I just described to you, believer that counted his chickens before they got hatched, that bragged about his Christian life before it was over. Because it ain't over till it's over. One of my favorite things to do is watch boxing. It's violent, and I don't recommend you watch it, but I'm going to. My dad was a boxer. He, he taught me how to, it's a beautiful sport. I love to watch comeback fights. I just watched one this afternoon. I knew I was going to preach this, so I got on YouTube and watched some comeback fights. This one old boy, both his eyes were swelled shut. He got knocked down, got back up. I mean, he was like out of it. He went back in, got knocked back out, knocked down, not out, knocked down. But I mean, he was, he was in la-la land. Both of his eyes, after a few rounds, swelled. He could just barely look through the slits of both of his eyes. And, and you know, he was, you, you, you just, everybody in that auditorium and everybody even in a ref, I think, were felt bad for him because this guy was just making him look bad and tearing him up, and he was losing, losing, and it had really, in most people's mind, they wrote him off. But here's a beautiful thing about boxing. He got in there, and his opponent began to take him for granted. His opponent began to think that he's hurt so bad, he can't really hurt me, so he made a dramatic mistake and lowered his guard. And this old boy threw a wild left hook and caught that boy, that other boy, in the, in, and, and, and he backed him up. And then, of course, this guy that was so beat up began to smell, smell victory. And he jumped in on that boy and hit him with another right, another left, another right, another left. And he was out on his feet to where the ref jumped in there and stopped the fight. And he won. He couldn't even believe it. That's the devil rejoicing over a Christian who thinks they're secure, got it all together, and will never fall. I do not think that about myself. I can tell you that right now. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14, it says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses 
and dwelt therein. This is describing some of us. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast be multiplied. And why is that? Because God's hand of blessing has been upon you. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, New Testament says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. It ain't over till it's over. Psalm 30, verse 6 says, And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Proverbs 1, 32 says, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Job 15, 21 says, A dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon him. I believe the warning is clear. Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. One of the most dangerous times possibly for the Christian life may be after many years of successful living the Christian life. When there's been major successes and major victories in a person's life, you've been transformed by the power of God for a while. You can't even imagine yourself going back to the simple things that you were saved out of, the immorality and the, the ways of the world. You can't even imagine yourself going back to that. But the warning of the Bible is they're just around the corner waiting for you to drop your guard, just like that old boy in a fight, because you think you've got this thing figured out. You do not have it figured out. There is no room for you and me to have arrogance. There's no room. We only should have humility and dependence on God. Because just because you've served God maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, yea, even 50 years, does not give you any insurance that you're going to end well. And it's how you end that counts. Amen? Nobody talks how you began. They talk how you end. I mean, Bob, Bob Rose, I don't go back and ask, you know, a bunch of questions. I just know Bob ended in the Lord. Bob Rose ended in the Lord. That's what I care about. He ended doing the right thing. I mean, he may have started out as an old scoundrel. In fact, talking to Ernie Leonard, he was an old scoundrel. Nobody wanted to work for Bob Rose, man. I mean, I'm just telling you what Ernie said. Ernie may be listening to this right now. He can verify that with you, but don't get bitter at him, Marilyn. But Marilyn knows this. Marilyn was married to the guy early on. I get myself into trouble, I tell you. What do you think? Let me ask you a question. What do you think of a preacher that has done so that's done well, been virtuous, 
preached for 20 years plus, then runs off with another woman. You kind of forget about the 20 years that he lived for God and the 20 years he paid tithe and the 20 years he helped the local church and the 20 years that he taught Sunday school and the 20 years that he preached behind the pulpit and told people to do the right thing and did tell the right people to do the right thing. But let his guard down and took a left hook and a right combination from the devil and ran off with some other woman, usually uglier than his wife. I'm not sure that came out right. Uglier than his wife, meaning his wife was already ugly, and the woman he ran away with was uglier. But I think it was Tom Cronin told me that story. He had a guy up where it was uh, Chattanooga, I believe it was, Chattanooga, and he had a, a somewhat, not an ugly woman, but a pretty woman. About, I mean, the song says, make an ugly woman your wife, you know that. But anyway, I was going to say the Bible says, but that's not so. That's not so. Good advice, but not so. But anyway, Tom told me about this guy, and, and he was a pat. he was, you know, married, and I think he had three kids, right? Had, huh? One kid? How'd that happen? Okay, so he had one kid, and he ran off with some woman. Tom said, that woman he ran off with was ugly. I mean, homely. And Tom told me, he said, I couldn't believe that he ran off with that homely. If you're going to run off with a woman and lose everything you've ever had in eternity and make the total turn, you might as well run off with a pretty one. I'm not sure how that came out. What do you think about a preacher like that? All that good is washed away. That's how you finish. That's how you finish. Don't think you've won the race till you cross the line. What's the line, death? What's the line, death? You haven't crossed the line, the Christian line. You haven't crossed the line, the finish line, till you die. And once you die, glory to God, you cross the finish line. Everything's set. But by the grace of God, I don't want to end like Saul ended. I don't want to end like, I don't even want to have a life like David had. David got cocky. He should have been out there with a man of war, but he's living in the tents and he wouldn't have messed with Bathsheba. So, I believe Christians have been hurt and disillusioned because of what I'm talking about. Well, I know we should keep our eyes on Jesus. I made, a, I made a covenant with myself a long time ago that whatever people did, I wasn't going to be discouraged in the Lord Jesus who never did anything wrong. If the deacons fell and the preachers fell around me and the whole denomination fell and everything went apostasy, and everything just collapsed as much as it could collapse. I'm sticking with Jesus. He was good to me. He saved me by his blood and never has disappointed me. Basically, I say it this way. If everybody else decides to go to hell, I don't want to go. Don't let your eyes be on men to the place where if they do fall, 
and, and, and God forbid, it's a horrible tragedy, but if they do, it doesn't take me. I don't even skip a beat. Because the Savior I serve in the Bible I read is true. Eternally. Whatever men may say or do. So, I think in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. Second Peter 3.17, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That means you were steadfast, mature. 2 John 1 8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. That means it wouldn't say to beware of that if you couldn't lose it. If you couldn't stumble, if you couldn't mess up in the last few days, last few years, last few months of your life, brother, you could, you can. So, how can I keep from messing up in the last few years of my Christian experience? Never set and relax on my past victories. That fight I just described to you, didn't make any difference that he had ruled, that one guy had ruled that fight. He literally ruled the fight, the whole fight, until that wild left came around, and literally he got knocked out. That When you read that fight now without seeing it, so-and-so was knocked out by so-and-so. That's all you read. So I can't, I can't, you, you can't and I can't rely on any past victory. Today is the day, now is the time, we live at this moment, and this is the moment to be what God wants us to be. Second thing, never think too much of how much you have done in the past. Don't keep looking over your, a man shouldn't praise himself, and nobody should go back over your past successes too much or review them. Thirdly, never look at what others are doing. Compare what you're doing. Just do what you know is right, and, let, and if other people do better than you, be happy for them. If other people exceed what you're doing, be happy for them. Don't be jealous. And fourthly, listen to this message and take it to heart. The preached word of God. Because I want to make it all the way to the finish. How about you? May God, on a regular basis, to help you end well, to help you finish well. Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. It's not over till it's over. Go all the way to the end by the grace of God. Father, help us tonight to understand this principle. Oh, so many, many people that have been saved for 10, 20, 30 years fail the grace of God. They fail in the grace of God because they commit the same error that boxer committed or something like it. And they rest on their laurels and they talk about their past successes. And they compare themselves with others. In the meantime, they quit doing those things which God bless in their life. Father, forgive us where we 
in any way, shape, or form get big in our own eyes. Help us to stay small. You told Saul if he had stayed small. You told David if he had stayed small in his own eyes, you wouldn't have the trouble you've had. God, help us just to look up to heaven every day, dependent as we were the first day we got saved. You may be able to quote large sections of Scripture. You may know all 66 books of the Bible, forward, backward. You may know every story in the Bible, every, every account in the Bible, and you may be quite the Bible-quoting Bible, uh, individual, but that does not guarantee you end well. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.